0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. On the trail of a missing friend who has been experimenting with mind-altering drugs, a young journalist aided by a rogue counterculture writer, finds herself drawn into a dangerous world of top-secret government chemical research and mystery of a disturbing radio signal of unknown origin. A fast-paced thriller blending fact and fiction, Banshee Chapter is based on real documents, actual test subject testimony, and uncovered secrets about a covert program run by the CIA. We're joined by the director and screenwriter for Banshee Chapter, Blair Erickson. Blair, welcome to Film School.
1: Hey, Mike. Great to be here.
0: Thank you, and thank you so much for being here as well. It's a it's a um, a very uh, interesting. Um, what's it? You tell me how you would characterize a film is is a horror film well, did it, or did it, no? What did is it? Scare it? you? It did scared me. So <laughs> it did scare me. <laughs>
1: I think because the film scares people, you have to call it a horror film. I know it's not it's not the traditional type of horror story, and it's not traditionally gory. But a lot of people have told me they found it intensely scary um, yeah so i I guess you have to classify it as
0: horror well, it's certainly a political horror film. <laughs> How's that? Yeah. because not yeah. just because of politics but because we're talking about things as I just said in the introduction about uh, uh, familiar uh, Material that is familiar to anyone who has read about the actions of the CIA in the fifties and in the sixties, we know that there were a lot of uh, experiments going on with hallucinogenic drugs, mind altering drugs, uh, all kinds of things were going on that this film echoes. Um, is that a fair way to put it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's originally what fascinated me about the material. I was reading, you know. Being a lot of subjects, I think it was kind of about the origin of where did we get a lot of these drugs from? Like a lot of these drugs like LSD, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And really it got popularized by the MK Ultra program, the research that the CIA was doing, where they were taking American citizens and they were injecting them or dosing them against their knowledge, against their will, and testing to see what they could do with these chemicals. So that subject kind of fascinated me. Um, and I found out you know, that LSD had actually really come out of this program. They had um, done... Uh, Experiments on a, on, a, on a man named Ken Kesey, who we later know as the author of, you know, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. He's mm-hmm. famous for his electric Kool-Aid acid test. He was the one who had taken this drug out of the program and popularized it in American society and sort of unleashed the counterculture. Um, and that was a really fascinating idea, but I think it was also fascinating that mm, all of this had terrible stuff had been done to people. People had died. Terrible things had come out of these chemical experiments. And nothing was done about it. Nobody faced criminal charges. It just sort of existed. And I thought, what a great metaphor to comment on what we had started to see at that point in our own government mm-hmm. um, you know, with the NSA. We, uh, when we were writing this, uh, right, myself and, and the co-writer who helped me with the story was Dan Healy, and we were looking at that as a great metaphor um, for how do you talk about why does the NSA, why are they able to do this? Why, don't, why doesn't anyone stop them? And the answer is because it's been around for so long, it's too late. Uh, so I think that was what it really intrigued us about the material.
0: You know, that's an interesting idea, uh, Blair, that uh, these things uh, are, are, I would call, I always refer to these things as hiding in plain sight. We know right. this goes on. Uh, we know that when we hear about it in sort of isolated incidents, we're horrified by it. And yet, nothing is ever really done in any significant or institutional way to prevent it from happening again. It is that is that part of I don't want to get too political, but it, do we do we as a, a populace see it as the price of doing business in a dangerous world, or or should we be more proactive in stopping these things from happening?
1: Right, and, and I think in a weird way, it's almost like it, it's so universally creepy to most Americans that this goes on, And I don't even think it's political in a weird way because I think, you know, um, conservative, Democrat, Libertarian, Progressive, whatever your politics might be, you don't like the idea that your government does this to unsuspecting American citizens. I don't think there's a lot of people who get behind that. Um, But yet it exists, and I think for us, this was a great story to tell because yeah. it's, it's legitimately scary, but it also works as a haunting for what we're haunted by culturally as a society. We're haunted by our own past, which is we created these government apparatuses that get away with terrifying things, um, and nothing ever comes of that, and we just let that lurk and manifest in our society. And of course, the end results of what what that turns into is horrifying. And, and, and people would ask me because in the film we, sh- we we shot the film about a year and a half ago. In the film, there's that scene where she's talking to that guy and she says, you used to work for the NSA, didn't you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and there's that creepy implication of this being connected to the NSA. Mm-hmm. And if people always ask me, how did you know that the Edward Snowden thing or whatever was going to come out? And you know, how did you time that to blah, 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 blah? Did you, you know, how did you squeeze that in there? Did you do that in post? But the answer was, that was not a big secret. Yep. And Snowden was the, was the only person to confirm it. But that information was already out there. People just didn't care. They didn't respond to it. The, the, the journalists didn't follow up on it. And that was also why we made our main character a British um, uh, person who was a journalist, because we we looked at American journalists, and they just didn't follow up on this stuff. So it had to be an outsider.
0: Right. I think if people—I don't—you know, believe me, I'm, I'm not uh, someone who is uh, obsessed with these kinds of things, but— you pay attention a little bit to things in in terms of sources that matter. Puzzle Palace was about the NSA. There have been books, there have been films, there have been all kinds of information available about these programs. They've been going on for years and years and years. But it is funny how suddenly they catch up. The zeitgeist catches up with this stuff, and it yeah, suddenly becomes yeah. something that we have to we have to fret over, and then we move on. Yeah. You know. We
1: we I, I was. I was, I was doing an interview last night where the interviewer asked me, why not just do this as a documentary or a drama? Why do it as a horror? And I said, you know, part of, part of what you're seeing, the footage in the film, is pulled from actual documentaries that were made in the 70s yeah. about this program. Yeah. But nobody cared. <laughs> like, they made documentaries about this, but it wasn't entertaining, so Americans didn't pay attention. Um, so in a weird way, horror was the right way to do this because you couldn't get people to pay attention if you treated it too seriously.
0: Right. And, well, and that's a great segue back to the fact that Banshee Chapter is, in fact, a narrative film, and the beauty of what you are tapping into and the way you're tapping into it is it's a story. People gravitate to stories. They don't want to be told as much information. They don't want to be fed information. as they, The delivery system as a story is much more effective, and it seems to penetrate a little bit further into our psychology when told well, and this film is done very well um right uh, so well, thank you yeah right. I, and uh so it it it's it is all that it it, it people think it's a it, you know if they assume it to be a, a a horror film it will it will fill that bill and then if right. they and if, exactly. and along with it comes again I mean I can think back on my go, film going history and all kinds of narrative films have really Really settled into my uh, subconscious in a way that I can that have mattered to me, and I think that's I think that's a great thing you've done. Um, You have a good cast here now. uh, People that uh, in it that may not be household names, but all are very effective. I thought uh, Katia Winter was excellent, as was Ted Levine. These are the two main characters in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you decided uh, casting and, and and all that.
1: It was, you know, it was sort of night and day with both of them. With with Ted, um, you know, when you when you wrote the script, we knew he was going to be a counterculture character. We knew that we were going to be pulling elements of Hunter S. Thompson, Timothy Leary, Ken Kesey, all these great counterculture figures. You wanted the guy to feel familiar. You didn't necessarily know him, but you felt familiar with him. So we looked for someone who could perfectly play that role with just the right amount of humor, but right, also that right amount of menace and that kind of crazy over-the-top energy. Um and Ted was the top of that list. You looked, I mean, it was like, we made the list, and it was like, all right, Ted Levine, you know, we, you, you knew him as Buffalo Bill from tons of Lambs, or you knew him as, um, you know, uh, from um, Shutter Island or any of those movies, and it was like, that's the guy. And fortunately, we sent him the script, and almost immediately, he said yes. Like, within 24 hours, it was a yes. So that was an easy one. It was like, oh, perfect. And you think the rest of it's going to be like this, but it's not at all like that. When we went to look for the actress, we went to look for the actress, um... Honestly, it was very hard to find, and we had to pull every rock and and nook and cranny of casting agencies to try to find this perfect actress. Who she really, I mean, Katya brings the um, level of seriousness, but also she's you know she's smart, she's serious. And when you think about a story as outrageous as this, where you have a story about the government injecting people with crazy experimental chemicals and Mm. horrifying, you know, entities coming out of nowhere and those Mm. sort of things. When you think about that kind of story, you really need someone who's going to be believable, so that people, the audience, goes with you on this crazy journey. Right. Um, and Katya was was that. We saw this uh, clip of her, I think, in a in a British film, and, and I was like immediately, uh, we got we got to fly her over here. Um, and yeah, and it, it, it was no surprise that it, you know, almost immediately after this, she went over to um, Dexter, and then uh, and now she's I guess one of the leads on um, Sleepy Hollow. She plays the witch Katrina, so she, um. you know she immediately I think is popped. Because I think she's such a great actress and it was it was it was an honor to be able to catch her so early in her career um, and get, you know, get such a great performance out of her.
0: Yes, you do. And, and to your point, uh, you need an, an actress, you need a character who's grounded uh, and, and, you know, it, and also willing to do things that me as sitting in the audience would never do. Like when she when she goes down wherever I'm you know I don't want to give anything away when she heads down in there I'm thinking to myself there's not a chance in hell I would even I would wait till daylight I would call everybody I know I would organize some sort of gigantic you know conga line going into that place so so that but she does and that's what we want in our in our film heroine so uh, so she did she did did great
1: she has to be the brave one right you know that it's not going to be I mean it's not the Blackbird character Blackbird character is a little bit of the Scooby Doo cowardly you know. a banquo type character of he's he's the funny, menacing, weird comic relief, but he can't necessarily be the bold, brave one. And that's such a you know, there's always that horror cliche of the guy is the brave one and the woman's you know in yeah. peril. We wanted to completely flip that so that he's sort of the he's the cowardly one and she's the one who really doesn't have that fear, who's more just like this must be done and I am not going to be stopped until I get what I you know came for. And really, Katia herself, I think we saw that in her. Um, yeah. Because when we were doing a lot of the scenes where there was, you know, really, uh, I would say, intense stuff right close to her face or, you know, the way you had to blow a fire effect, or, you know, right next to her, never blink. Like stuff that I myself would never do. She yeah. was totally down for it, didn't never complain, just like, yep, let's do it. Um, you know, you're gonna blow that up right next to my head. All right, sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you yes. know, it, it definitely, I think she had that, and she perfectly embodied that sort of um, hero, heroine character.
0: And, and by the way, believable. And this, this uh, one of the good uh, sort of uh, plot threads running through this is she's motivated uh, by love. She she was uh, uh, had a relationship with Mike Michael in this. Um, yeah. I I'm sorry uh, Michael no, McMillan yeah. uh, Michael
1: McMillan, he plays the is the actor uh yeah. he plays uh, James. James.
0: yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Said that wrong. No, no, and uh no. yeah, and uh so there so she's motivated by this sense of loss and, that she assumes has happened and that she's trying to find out why and she feels that, you know, this was a true love of hers that she's lost and so that will, you know, cause people to do all kinds of things, and 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 certainly she does that. And by the way, the, the scenes uh, earlier, uh, sort of, uh, well, mixed in here with uh, Ted Levine's character as uh, Thomas Blackburn. Um, I really uh, w- one of the strengths of this film is uh, he he's a, he he falls easily into this character, very believable. Uh, I'm I'm mm-hmm. going back to some of the you know more uh, so, quote unquote. Uh, upfront portrayals of Hunter S. Thompson in films, and I I really have to say that he, and I'm not saying that we're just alluding to the fact that he has a Thompson-esque Thompson yeah, S. Yeah, yeah, elements yeah. Of but, close, close, right. but boy he falls easily into uh, what I can see, could see him playing a an autobiographical autobiogra- film as him because he he exudes that sort of toughness and yet at the same time just I I was very taken by his performance in this and
1: he, he has that sort of electrical intensity that Hunter S. Thompson had and I think that's why we wanted him for that role because yeah. you know even though he even though there's elements of that character from, you know, other other famous historical figures, I think we wanted that sort of familiar, like, oh, okay, I, I remember a guy like that. Yeah. And, you know, I think Ted has that, yeah. um, or he can bring that, because, you know, he Ked, it's funny, he usually only plays either really innocent type, you know, police detective, you know, the good guy police cop type. Or just the other end of the spectrum, the most completely deranged, most intense guy. And this one, I think, he got to pull both of those yeah. a little bit. Like yeah. he's a little bit of a little bit of a hero and a little bit horrifying.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so I think it was great to, 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 get, to get to mix that up a bit.
0: we we'll to remind our listeners that we're speaking with er, Blair Erickson, the director of Banshee chapter. Uh, the film is coming out um, in in January, but will be available actually starting uh, in mid December. Uh, so, right, uh, right. Yeah, um,
1: so it's kind of a, an early release. We're doing a theatrical in January um, in select markets, but. Right now, I think you can you can if you search for it. It's kind of a little bit early because they you know takes a while to refresh, but um, it will uh, be on iTunes and DirectV. So right now, when you hear this, it's on iTunes and DirectV.
0: Yeah, yeah, you can find it. Very good. That's yeah, perfect. Uh, And then uh, later on uh, in uh, early next year, you also there's a DVD release of it as well. Um, Yeah, yeah. uh, So first derivative film, first uh, uh, feature film. Tell me a little bit about uh, the challenges. Now, obviously, you had a smallish crew, a smallish cast. I don't I mean that doesn't infer that there's a small crew involved, but uh, Probably a small budget film. <laughs> okay, okay. How many uh, how many shooting days would you would you have on this? So I
1: think, 28 is what it is about
0: that. Wow, that's almost extravagant by uh, by. By, <laughs> indie, by indie standards. Well, that, well, that's great. It's still, a lot, it's still an ins- insanely yeah. quick amount of time because you guys did have a lot of setups, you can tell in the film. You, exactly. You that, were, I mean,
1: there was, that was the biggest risk with the film was the number of locations. Yeah. There's so many crazy locations in the film. Yeah. Um, but we were able to get away with it because we, we, so we worked a lot with the crew. So we shot in New Mexico, mm-hmm. and we were shooting right when Breaking Bad was on hiatus, so we used a lot of their crew. And our, our wonderful location manager, Alex Giannopoulos, um knew all these great locations and was able to deliver that you know, you know, we need an abandoned government facility, we need an abandoned an entire abandoned suburb. we need you know, mm. um, a, a big mansion. Like he was able to hook us up with all that stuff on a really quick basis. in in an amazing way that uh, that really saved us. Um, Because I don't think without that it would have been possible. We would have had a completely different film.
0: Well, then let's collectively give a shout-out to location managers who can deliver this kind of stuff. Because those are are kind of people that kind of get lost in the shuffle. Because this has, uh, yeah, we have the government location, just as you said, the mansion, the abandoned... Uh, suburb, uh, the laboratories—it's it's all of it—and and, and uh, boy, that's not an easy—it's—it's it's easier said than done to make it, uh, especially, Absolutely. especially when you're trying to make a film, a cohesive film. I mean, with something that sort of fits together. And uh, well, that was a fortuitous timing. Uh, Breaking Bad crew is uh, it was on a little bit of a break, and you you swooped right in there.
1: Yeah, it's um, so, you know it was wow. so great that Breaking Bad was. Sort of down there in New Mexico yeah. because we were able to just leverage so much of, you know, the wonderful team um, uh, in place there to uh, really make what is a, you know a very low budget film look and feel uh, a lot bigger than it is, and, and to really deliver a you know an A level um, film production.
0: Well, uh, okay. While we're talking uh, cast and crew and uh, the crew, I should say, uh, tell me a little bit about now. You've got some. Uh, Pretty serious executive direct, uh, producers involved. Obviously, mm-hmm. people will know Zachary Quinto from uh, from Star Trek and just a remarkable actor. And heroes, Margin yeah, Call. Heroes and yeah. Margin Call, he was terrific in Margin Call. There's, he's just great actor. How, what what's his involvement in, in, in the film? Is...
1: Yeah, so we were, you know, we were. In, uh, I was working with producer Stephanie Riggs, and we were, you know, kind of. Putting financing in place, and it it actually it it ended up going pretty quick, believe it or not, because Mm -hmm. I guess people really, you know, the script worked, and and people really liked that it was, you know, this kind of off the wall, crazy, scary movie, but it was pretty low budget, Um, and uh, I had gone to college with um, Zach and um, his other producing partners, Corey and and Neil. We we all went to Carnegie Mellon, and. they had read the script and they were really you know they were really big fans of it so i said you know why don't we all team up and just make this a big you know Carnegie Mellon reunion here (laughs) um and uh, yeah they 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 helped really deliver i think a lot of the things that helped make the movie what it is which is you know they understood that what we were going for is a little bit different than a typical slasher movie but what we were going for was more of a a social crazy commentary movie that just happened to be incredibly scary um So they were, they were definitely game for that. And uh, Corey Musa in particular, um, uh, really did a great job of sort of bringing it to the set. And then Zach has been just a wonderful uh, champion of the film as far as, you know, pushing us out there and getting us in front of the right people. And, you know, it, it, it's been a great team. And those guys that were before the door, um, absolutely fantastic producers. And, uh, yeah. You know, we're just one of their many pictures. They also did, you know, All, all is Lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, yes, and, nice. Um, nice. That's and right. yeah, still, you know, here we are, this little tiny movie, and there's this, you know, giant Robert Redford adventure film, and we're still getting the same, you know, treatment. So it's wonderful uh, to to be working with uh, guys like that.
0: Yeah, and and to your to your point, amen to the idea that uh, you get a a significant high profile name, uh, especially somebody who seems to be on the ascendancy in Hollywood. Uh, with his acting and now getting into the production side of it as well to be out there yeah. champ- championing championing your your film it really does help a lot uh, absolutely exactly. uh, yeah well well uh, i I have uh i i Expectations. I mean, we're 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 just rolling out there. Uh, it's. Uh, I personally really thoroughly enjoyed this, and I and it did scare. I'm honest to God. I there's part. I mean, it's one of those where you put your hand up over your your face and you kind of peer through the fingers. Kind of scary for me. And, and, <laughs>
1: Honestly, I made the film and I still do that. Like there's some there's some scenes in the film where I'm like, okay, I, this is a little freaky. <laughs> I mean, I know what's gonna happen, but I still don't like it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I enjoyed it a lot, and I look forward to future work. I mean, obviously, I think this is a you know a, a great start to a to a yeah. director uh, career career as a director in, in this in this town um, and yeah. beyond. And uh, so, thank you so much for being here, a part of uh, film school, and uh, all the best, all the best to you, Eric. Blair? Absolutely. absolutely.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you, and um, you know, can't can't wait to come back with my next one. Whatever. Yeah, please, please do.
0: <laughs> Let me know what's, what, what happens next. So, again, we're speaking, we've been speaking with Blair Erickson, uh, the director and screenwriter for the terrific uh, um, horror political slash whatever entertaining film, let's put it above and beyond an entertaining film, uh, Banshee Chapter. Thank you so much. Awesome. Have
1: a, have a great day. Thank All you right. so much.